Hello, everyone. I'm DJ Ambush from The Numbers and X-Ray FM. Today, Jefferson Smith and I are coming to you with an interview with Joanne Hardesty. Commissioner Hardesty is the newest member of the city council, although about not to be the newest member. There are a bunch of races happening right now. She's the commissioner for Portland Fire and Rescue, the Bureau of Emergency Management, and the Bureau of Emergency Communications, all of which are highly relevant right now. Commissioner, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. I just turned down my uh, fire radio so that it wouldn't be distracting in the background. <laughs> so in your house right now, in your house right now, you have an alert in case something happens? Oh, I'm always on the fire and rescue scanner just because I need, I need, you know, when something bad is happening, I want to know as soon as possible. Has that thing been jumping off over the last 48 hours? Uh, yes, which is why I ended up downtown on Friday night when I was just about to go to bed. All of a sudden, I heard this uh, call for four stations to send fire engines, which made me know something big was going on. And I flipped on my TV. I saw a riot had been declared. I knew the mayor was out of town. And I was the mayor because I am the presiding officer now when the mayor is out of town. And so I called the fire chief. She came and got me and off I went downtown. Whoa. So what were the first things you had to do other than going off downtown? Once you're downtown, what did you have to mess with? Well, the first thing I had to do was just kind of go and get briefed on what was taking place. So all the way downtown, I was listening to both the fire scanner and the police scanner. And let me tell you, when I, as soon as we pulled up to station one, uh, I heard over the police radio, Use the level of force necessary. And I went, oh my gosh, this is being serious, right? Um, so then I went inside. Uh, and so in the fire um, command center, I could both see TV screens. I could hear uh, police uh, radio monitoring their communication as well as monitoring fire communication. And so I was in a place where I could see where, what was happening with fire, what was happening with police, and then what the community was seeing from the TV stations. So I had a really good view when I first got there. And, and what guidance do they look to from you? A lot of these are protocols that are already built, scenarios that have already been planned, rules they've already got. Uh, at what point and at what ways are you engaging at that time? Well, you know, a smart leader lets the experts do their thing. What I know about fire and rescue and Portland Police is that in emergencies, they operate like a well-oiled machine, right? So a good leader goes in and asks for a briefing and just observes, right, and asks questions. I don't go in saying, okay, here's what you need to do. But after being there for about an hour, I ask the question, why aren't we just closing this down, right? We are still in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, we are not supposed to have people in large crowds anywhere that don't have masks on. Why don't we just close this down? And the answer I got was, well, the mayor has to declare uh, a curfew, right? Um, I said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> and I was told, well, the mayor has to do it. I went, I am the mayor, do it, right? So within a half hour, it was done. Of course, the curfew didn't go into effect at that time, because it was because it was down by now, that we're talking, you know, one o'clock in the morning, one thirty in the morning. So, but what we knew was, if people were doing this on Friday night, they were going to keep doing this, right? If we did not put some stop measures in place, and so that was when I made the decision: we need to do a curfew. And then, of course, the question becomes: is it just downtown, or is it all across the city? 
right? And my gut said, all across the city, right? Because if we just did it downtown, we would be accused of just protecting businesses downtown, right? And so it's a lot different being on this side than being the advocate that I've been for a long time, right? So my job, if I'm good at my job, my job is to listen to the experts, observe what's going on, and make recommendations that I think make sense based on what I'm hearing. What are you hearing now that the curfew was in place? Uh, what, you know, what, what's, what's been the reaction? Yeah, we all got it on our phones. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, right, right. Um, I, it's been mixed reactions, right? Uh, there are some people who see this as a power play by the mayor uh, to just lock people down, right? Um, and not let them exercise their right. Uh, there are people that said, thank you. We appreciate the fact that you took quick action and you're being really clear about the necessity for people to not be on the street past 8 p.m. Um, I'm begging, especially black and brown people, to please stay home. Please stay home. Because it is my belief that the, the significant damage that was done in Portland wasn't done by Portlanders. It was done by white nationalists that uh, infiltrated our peaceful marches and started disruption. And we were on the first city that happened. And this is happening all over the country. And quite frankly, I'm old enough uh, to remember that uh, the FBI and local police infiltrated the NAACP during the height of the civil rights movement. And so these uh, prov provocateurs come into peaceful protests with the intent of disruption and creating chaos. And at the end of the day, who gets blamed for it? It's the black and brown people that get blamed for it. But as I was watching that video, I didn't see any black and brown people pick up scooters and put them through glass windows. I didn't see any black and brown people actually uh, uh, beating up people on the street uh, downtown. I didn't see that. It may have happened, but I didn't see it. Most of the people I saw involved in really uh, destructive behavior and activity were young white men who I'm pretty sure don't even live here. Because uh, Jefferson, you and I have been to a bazillion marches over the time we've known each other, right? And we don't know all the normal protesters, but we can pretty much recognize no, them by face, right? I mean, I'm watching for hours and not seeing anybody I know. When I, and this, and, and thank you, Commissioner, because you and I both been attending to, sometimes engaging in activism for a couple decades. And yes. when none of the people in our networks yes. have any direct relationship with any of the people who are doing that kind of stuff, it gives me the same sort of nervousness, the same sort of impression you have. Yes. Well, I never go to a protest unless I know who's organizing it mm. or if I'm organizing it. Because I will never go to a protest. It is not about nonviolent direct action, speaking truth to power. I never organize a protest that isn't family friendly, where you can bring your kids and you can bring your grandma, right? The, the, to me, that's how we protest. I, you know, I'm a kid of the 60s. So, you know, I, I, and I know that we have to be disciplined because your life depended on it in the 60s. If you weren't disciplined, you were dead. You didn't make it home. Right. That's why we put on our Sunday best and we sung church songs and we were polite because we know that standing up for our rights is dangerous in this country. Right. 
and so when I see protests that I can't tell who organized it, there are no people names, there are no contacts on it. Mm. That sends all kind of warning signs for me. And I hope you can help with this program to educate the public that all protests aren't good protests. Just because somebody say that they're standing up for the rights of black lives doesn't mean they really are. And we have an obligation as community members to know who we're aligning with, because I, I absolutely believe, and I've talked to the police who actually have data that shows that yes, there are white nationalists and white supremacists that were actually um, part of the destruction downtown. And I've talked to uh, communities all across the country who are saying the exact same thing, right? I believe, I believe, and nobody has confirmed this, but in my heart, I believe that this is an organized effort by 45 to stop the election so that he can be emperor for life. We know in Minneapolis that the mayor said that they think 100%, somebody else said it was 80% of all the arrests made were in fact people from out of state. So you're not just, your speculation is not based on nothing. Uh, Ambush, I got like part of the, and you and I've been chatting back and forth on this for the last couple of days, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And Definitely. Uh, I, I, I know there's some people, some activists are mad at me because they're like, well, why would you why would you say prosecute people to the fullest extent of the law? Right. Because that doesn't sound like something that Joanne Hardesty would say. Right. <laughs> right? But if people are set on destruction, I think they deserve to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Absolutely. Nothing about busting out windows is helping justice for black people. I think that's a good uh, key takeaway for anyone listening and people looking to get uh, involved, get, you know, get off the couch and get involved. If you are not familiar and cannot find enough data on the people organizing these uh, protests, stay home. It's safer for you to do that. So since the curfews have been in place, it's been one night. Have you know, has it been a noticeable difference in the reporting and how effective has it been? Well, let me, I'll give you two scenarios about uh, last night, right? Okay. About uh, how it's been. So uh, one bad, one good. So the one I think we talked about at the beginning, which was there was a police action prior to the curfew going into effect downtown on third between Maine and Madison. There was a group of about a hundred people that were protesting. They had signs, some were on the sidewalk, some were in the street. The police asked them to get on the sidewalk and people started throwing things at them, right? So the police uh, uh, used tear gas to push people out of downtown. So that was last night um, and that was before the curfew was in effect. And so there are activists that are like, well, see, the, I knew the police were just gonna use this to like beat up on activists, right? And the reality is, is the, the curfew has nothing to do with what happens when you throw things at police. If you throw something at police, chances are they're going to throw something back, right? Because that's human nature. Um, so that was the one that was unfortunate that there were young people who really were there for a legitimate purpose. And again, other people may have joined, but then when you start throwing things at police, you're never going to get a good outcome. But let me tell you one that had a good outcome. So there was uh, about 150 folks in the same area today, protesting with their signs. Um, two police officers walked over and talked to them. And I think the issue was once again, you're gonna stay on the sidewalk, right? Get out of the street. It's really about safety. Um, and two officers walked over to talk to them. Those two officers 
um, the, the uh, organizers said to the officers, if you take a knee with us, we'll just clear the area. Take a knee and, uh, 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 you know, just like uh, the football player did, right? Uh, take a knee. Those officers got down on their knee with them, sat there for a minute. Those hundred plus people got up and went off and did their thing. Wow. No violence happened, right? Wow. Um, are all Portland police officers perfect? No way, not by a long shot. But of all of them out to kill black people, no way, not by a long shot, right? So we have an obligation to figure out who are the ones that are willing to take a knee because they understand the significance of that. And let's get more of them, right? It feels like there's a daytime, nighttime gap, right? Like the daytime stuff feels really different than the nighttime stuff these days. Right, right. Well, you know, I participated in a march on Friday morning at 1130, right? Uh, first time I'd been out of my house in months because of the stay-at-home order. Um, and it was beautiful and wonderful to be with people, right? We all had our masks. We all kept distance, right? But if you looked around, hundreds of people participated they were all spread out on the grass behind City Hall. And it was a fabulously wonderful event, right? Wonderful, right? Um, I just think that everything depends on who the organizers are. Because most of us who have been in the activist community for a while, we know good organizers. I know there are certain people, if they organize something, I'm showing up, right? But there are some people, if I don't, some people I also know by name. And if they're organizing, I'm not going to show up, right? And then there are people that if I don't know, I'm certainly not showing up, especially if there's nothing on their information uh, that tells me about their their values, right? Are they a non, nonviolent, right? Are they encouraging people to be nonviolent, uh, right? Uh, that's what I'm looking for, right? And I think for your listening audience, I think um, I think that white people are in a hard place right now. Because white people want to do something to help with the racism that's real. They want to do something. And especially in a place like Portland, they really want to do something. And they think they're being helpful when they go to things that they don't ha haven't done their own evaluation of, right? So just like the Peninsula Park, it may have started off as a peaceful thing. But I've talked to a lot of people that showed up and it said immediately they felt the tension and they left. So they didn't even stay for the Peninsula Park. Because mm -hmm. they could feel that this was not about unity. This wasn't about bringing community together. This was something totally different, right? And so, so white people who don't have relationships with people of color, with black folks, right? And with Latino folks, right? They think, oh my God, another tragedy. I'm just going to go to this march because somebody, somebody uh, said they're going to hold a march, right? right. White people got to do their homework, right? They don't help our case if they go and participate in, in situations that people of color aren't leading, that we haven't organized, right? I mean, I look around and I'm like, uh, what a lot of people, black people out there that night, <laughs> um, right? And yeah. so I, I think white people have an obligation not just to be good on racial justice, but to do their homework before they participate in a march, right? Uh, just because somebody tell you that they are for black lives don't, doesn't mean they really are. Unless you know them and you know they have a history of standing up for black lives, right? We got a lot of new best friends, right? Who want to be our best <laughs> friends, but the reality is you better check them out. Better do your homework. 
That's Karsty, this this isn't the first time that we've dealt with police brutality on a nation nationwide level. That's right. What what's so different? What's so different? Do you think that we're getting this type of reaction from everyone? Well, I think it is the combination of having somebody at the highest level in our country, number 45, I just don't like using that name, um, the 45th president of the United States, right? Um, somebody at that level who preaches such hate and disdain for people of color, for women, for anybody that isn't rich white male and in the same uh, economic class that he's in. I mean, to have somebody at the highest level of our government preaching such hate every single day, I think has really solidified the people who were in their mom's basement before 45 got elected, and they were only talking to other people that thought like them. They have been given permission to be public and take to the street, which is why hate crimes have gone up a thousand percent since 45 has been in office. So you take the suffering that black people have been dealing with for since we came here, right? And then you, and then we make a little progress. We make a little progress. We elect Barack Obama and we're like, okay, okay. We're finally making a little progress. And then when 45 gets elected, not only have we lost the progress we made under President Obama, we have lost 75 years of civil rights gains <clears throat> with the uh, changes that have been made under 45, right? Mm -hmm. So we've been here before, but we haven't been here before at this magnitude where you've got the, the, the guy at the top of the federal government saying black lives don't matter, women don't matter, right? Uh, immigrants don't matter, right? Only white people matter. And only if you're rich enough to be one of the white people that matter. Um, so th the laws that were all put in place over 75 years have been slowly taken apart. We're still dying on the street. We have a Supreme Court that uh, with one new member could be a whole generation before anything good comes out of our Supreme Court. So we are at a place where it is a, uh, it's about to combust, right? And that's what we're seeing across the country, right? And it wasn't, it certainly wasn't about uh, Mr. Floyd in, in and of itself, right? But it was just like the final uh, tipping point, right? It's just finally with all the other stuff that's going on at the federal level, with all the lack of action around the pandemic, where black and brown people are dying at astronomical rates um, as compared to everybody else. Um, and with this push to get back to work, except nobody's safe, nobody can get tests, but we're supposed to now go back to work and pretend we're not gonna get sick and die. All that is having an impact on people's mental health and their psyche. And so it's just this perfect storm that is headed our way. It feels like we've been having this conversation for a long time. And I don't just mean the country. I even mean you and me. I even mean like on the air. I am, Certainly since X-Ray was born, certainly since before you were on the city council. That's right. And there is a moment now. It's not the only moment, but there's a moment now. And that moment is being used, to use your term, by 45 
to decry the enemies of fascism and white white supremacy. How do you want to use this moment or how do you hope that listeners or how we might use this moment? You know, I don't think uh, the Portland area knows how much uh, has changed just with having me on the city council. And it's not just about me, but just having me on the city council. Who would have ever thought that there could have been two community meetings this year on the Portland police contract where nobody yelled, nobody got arrested, nobody got kicked out, where you could have roomfuls of people with me and the mayor co-hosting to talk about their dreams on what the Portland police contract should look like moving forward, right? Nobody would have ever imagined that that could have happened, but it did, right? And so that happened. We have, I got the city council to all agree to a half million dollars to hire an outside attorney. That wouldn't have happened, right? Now, I've been banging my head against City Hall for years saying, these are the changes we got to make. It matters who's inside. It matters who's on, on, on city council and who can have the influence. Now, there were people that said, you know, I was the angry black woman, so I wouldn't work well with others, right? But look at what we've been able to accomplish. And if you don't think that's cool, Mike Smith trounced his opponent talking about reforming the DA's office, making sure that we're arresting less people, that we're taking a more humane approach. He, who would have got? Who would have thought a DA could get elected talking about restorative justice rather mm-hmm. than lock them up and throw away the key? Right? We are so fortunate in Multnomah County to have the caliber of elected leadership that we now have in in place, and will and hopefully will continue to have in place as this election season. Uh, 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 works his way through. I am so excited about Mike Smith because like me, he just says what he thinks, right? And people either like it or they don't, right? We're going to be wonderful working together because he and I share that philosophy. We could do so much better, right? Carmen Rubio is going to be sitting with me on the Portland City Council next year. She's going to be a strong voice that's never been on the city council before, right? I mean, theoretically, we could have a majority people of color on the city council by the end of this election cycle, right? Um, the odds are pretty good. Representation matters. Yes. And, and But not just people who have a look, but people that are willing to have the hard conversations consistently over and over and over again. Because just because you're black doesn't mean you're going to work for police before, right? So I don't want to give anybody the illusion that but, but the fact that we've been able to make change, right? And even with people's fear that I was somehow not gonna be easy to work with and I was somehow gonna just be blowing up the city council every day or so, the reality is I've never been like that. I, I, I speak my truth, right? Cause I was born in Baltimore and I'm supposed to just like say what I think. You're get, we're getting told that you got to go and ambush will close us out. But one at least ask you to give a plug for the reforms you're trying to make happen on first response to make sure there's mental health expertise, not only armed response when there's something happening on the street. A very quick plug for that. And then ambush, take us wherever you think we need to go. Let me just say that um, I am so happy that the city council continues to support Portland Street Response, which is a model of first responders for people on our street who need help. Uh, and the criteria, and it will be a pilot project that will start in the Lynch neighborhood. As soon as a stay-at-home order is lifted, we will start putting those pieces in place. 
this pilot will help us reform our whole um, um, community safety approach, right? We keep sending the wrong first responders, but I am committed and the mayor is committed to sending the right responder to the right incident at the right time. And Portland Street Response has still been funded, even with the drastic cut in the city's budget, which means that we are committed to making sure that we have the full array of first responders. And Portland Street Response will have a medic and a, a qualified mental health professional as a two-person team going out, helping our community be safe where they are. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. I could talk to you both all day long because, you know, these <laughs> issues are near and dear to my heart. Uh, but just know my last message is please be safe. Please stay home. Um, and take care of yourself and your family. We will come back together when we can. And public, yes. we can be one-on-one. -on -one, but I am committed to making sure that in my time on city council, no matter how short or long it is, uh, it's going to be a lot different when I leave. I came here to do this work, and I am grateful that I am, I am able to do this work. Even in this hard time, I am in the right place, and I appreciate the support from X-Ray and uh, your listeners. Thank you so much. All right, listeners, you've heard it. Please run this episode back a couple of times. There was a lot in here. Take notes, get out there, be active. Thank you so much for your time, Commissioner Hardesty. Thank you. My pleasure. Have a great evening.